that I just asked Daniel. What are you afraid of? Last week, we took some time to look at the question of, is this the end? In terms of the scriptures that speak to end times from Revelation and other places, but especially Revelation, and whether or not the events of this world are right now unfolding before us as laid out in Revelation. And, and I tried to make the case last week that I don't believe that that is, is happening, and yet we know that someday Christ will bring in the end. But um, even if it is or it isn't that time that we're facing, regardless, there's certainly no lack of reasons to be afraid. There are many things that try to make us afraid. So even if it isn't the end of the world, it can be the end of our world, the end of life as we know it. If, if I'm living in a town in Ukraine and there's tanks approaching and buildings are being crushed, my life as I have known it is, is over or, or at least greatly disrupted and in many ways will never be the same. And yet... God calls to our hearts that we don't have to be afraid. And the reason that we can, can and should and need to embrace that truth is a simple word, love. Love is more than a soft, nice, pleasant thing, kindness and gentleness, and sometimes we, we enjoy living there, but then when things get hard, well, that was nice when life was easy, but now that life is rough, well, we have to go to bolder, harder realities than love can address. And I'm here to tell you that that is a lie. If you think that love can't handle a war, you're wrong. If you think that love can't handle a pandemic, you're wrong. If you think that love cannot handle whatever difficulties that, that have crossed your path that are right in front of you right now, even today, this minute, then you're wrong. That's the power and the depth and the strength of the love of God as as expressed in his scriptures and revealed in the hearts and lives of those who give themselves to the way of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So many scriptures speak to the, the depth and the level of, of this love, and I want to go to some of them quickly, and we're going to spend most of our time in, in the fourth of these passages in, in Romans chapter 8, but I want to start today uh, with... Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 31. This is the importance of love. The importance of love. Jesus says um, in this passage, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This, the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. The centrality of love is contained, always was contained in the law. 
And that quite often got lost because Jesus isn't just saying these words about loving the Lord at this level. He wasn't originating that when he said it. He's quoting Moses. So right from the start, that when the law was given, this is the goal of the law. And if you live like this, you're going to fulfill the heart, the essence, the, the, the purpose of the law. And that's what Christ is getting to right here. It's that don't get so lost in the rules and checking all the boxes to make sure you've done everything right. Simply go to these, these three things, really. Are you loving God? Are you loving your neighbor? And are you loving yourself? That sometimes get lost in that. Love your neighbor as yourself. And sometimes for a lot of people, that's the hardest one. I know, I know a lot of people, probably you do too, who are very giving and, and, and out there and, and take care of the needs of others, but themselves they just feel bad about. Themselves they, they, they discredit and, and, and put down that I'm no good, even though all the evidence reveals that they're, they are that loving and giving person toward others and are not ready to love themselves. So this is the, the importance of the centrality of love, that, that we love God, love others, and love ourselves. And then the second passage, very familiar from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we see the characteristics of love as, as spelled out by Paul, what love is and what love is not. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects Always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Some of you might have heard me say this before. It's a good, a good litmus test or a good, a good gauge about love in your life to take this, this passage, verses 4 through 8, and wherever you see the word love, plug your own name in, and then read it to yourself in the mirror out loud. So I would take this passage and say, Paul is patient. Paul is kind. Paul does not envy. He doesn't boast. He's not proud. And he does not dishonor others. And he's not self-seeking. And he's not easily angered. <laughs> so there's probably one or two of those. As you're saying that about yourself, you're thinking, well, that's what I want to be. That's what I hope to be. But um, I'm not... I'm not quite there, but okay, there's the, there's the area I need to work on. There, there's that, that one aspect or a couple of them that, that have, have kind of slipped away or that are still, still knocking me down, that easily angered thing, or, or maybe it's the pride, or maybe it's the envy, whatever it is, but this is a good way to sort of walk through this and, and give some, give some self-critique, self-analysis. Now, now, don't beat yourself up too much about it either. Okay, this is part of loving yourself. In other words, love is capable of establishing every one of these qualities in you because you have Christ in you. God is love, correct? So if God is love and through his spirit, God is in you, you know what that means? Love is in you. This love is in you. The potential for you to be exactly what this says here in 1 Corinthians 13 is always before you, and it's always there in your choices. Now, I recognize that many of these are not always easy, but they are possible. 
They are possible in you because Christ is in you. And then in 1 John chapter, chapter 4, the enemy of love, beginning at the 13th verse. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother or their sister. What a powerful challenge, what a powerful truth. The enemy of love that I want to kind of point out from those verses, and I'm sorry that's so small print on the screen, but um, well, first of all, that we know and we rely on love. Okay, so, so if we, again, if we know God and we believe in faith that, that God in Christ is, is in us through his spirit in us, then he doesn't leave the love out. You can't separate God from love. So, so that love is, is in you, so we learn to rely on that. That means... When I have a decision that requires patience, love is patient, I learn to be more patient. When I have a decision, something before me, that, that requires kindness, that, that needs kindness to come into the moment, then by, because God is in me, in Christ, I choose kindness. And so that love is being displayed. I am relying on love in making my decisions, in, in constructing and and strengthening my relationships. I, I depend on love. I, I cannot withhold love from anyone and still be aligned with love in my life. I'm not, it says further down, um, whoever lives in love, lives in love. Now, the opposite of that, the, the enemy of that would be to live in fear. So if I am living in fear, then I am not living in love. This doesn't mean God's left you. This doesn't mean he's removing everything from you. It just means in that area of your life, whatever you're fearful of, love has to work its way in. You have to prayerfully find a way for love to work its way in. Because wherever there is fear, there is a lack or an absence of love. And so that's the challenge. Fear does have its place in our lives. We, we need, in, in, in our physical world, we, I, I mentioned about, um, to Daniel, I'm afraid of heights. Why? Because of something called gravity. So I fear gravity. I respect it. You know, but I, I, don't, I also don't live stifled and you know, don't go outside or never go to something higher than six feet anywhere. I fear fire because fire destroys. I'm, I'm one of the firemen in the community, but I also recognize that fire under control is something useful and in fact we we need it 
We, we can't live in this northern climate without fire in some form to heat these rooms, to heat our homes. And, and so we recognize those basic fears that we respect the, the physical world and the things we can fear, but then it also carries through into our, our relational, our emotional, our spiritual selves because there are fears there as well that will get our attention and make us be respectful and perhaps even address a problem, but we don't stay there in fear. We don't live in fear. We, we, don't, we don't buy and build a house in fear and hang out there indefinitely because I can't imagine my life outside of this because I'm so afraid. That's the danger of fear. And love is always the antidote to fear, that level of fear when it has gripped us so deeply. And then the last of these four passages is from Romans, and this is where we'll spend the, the rest of our time here today, um, and probably next week too. I, I'll explain that in a moment. Um, Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or a sword? As it is written... For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else, in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How about a hearty amen to that? Amen. And, and, and we're going to look at that closer. Because if, if fear is the enemy of love, then this passage in Romans is a clue to how to put that fear to rest how to get rid of that fear and embrace love in the fear, in the middle of, of the fears, the worries, the anxieties. And what I want you to notice, first of all, in this passage is the word who in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Everything else that follows in this list I'm going to review in a moment, in that 35th verse, is related to people. Who? It doesn't say what shall separate us. It says who. How many of our fears come to us because of people? A person or a group of people or, or a larger group of people? We don't have to think very long and hard about ways in which the heart can... can Camp out, live in a place of fear because of what people do to one another. Because of what has been done to you already that, that is, you know, there in your heart somewhere and that wound is there. And so fear of people is what Paul is first addressing here about bringing in this, this level of love and believing in a level of love in our hearts and our lives that will help us to overcome any fear, all fear. So the first of these in this list from the 35th verse of Romans 8 is trouble. 
And I'm sorry, that's pretty small on the bottom if you can't read that. So, so in other words, when you find yourself living in fear, instead of living in love, ask yourself this question. Is love, is the love of God larger than my fear of, and the first one's trouble. Trouble being fear of things that, that can cause us to worry. Fear of to the things that, that we are anxious about. The, the, the troubles in our lives. Troubles are often less specific than some of the things we'll get to in a moment. But if we allow the fear of trouble to, to camp out in our hearts, then we're looking for it all the time. We, we become um, pessimistic. We, we, we don't believe that Life is going to be good. And the word I used last week in, in a very large way, we become fatalistic. Like life is bad and it's never going to get better. And, and, and there's many reasons that, that people can get to that place in their lives. But if you, if you have a sense that just this is a troubled world and, and there's nothing you can do about it. Now, Jesus did tell us that in this world you will have trouble. But he also said, take heart, I have overcome the world. So it's not a question of whether or not there is troubles in the world. Of course there is. There's troubles in your world. There's troubles in the global world. There's trouble with a the pandemic. There's trouble with a war in Europe. There's trouble. But Christ promised us to overcome it. And the overcoming power is the power of love. So here's this basic question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is that trouble bigger than, stronger than, larger than your fear of what that trouble brings? And whether it's something that is right on your plate right now, or it's more of a, it might be, it could be, I'm afraid that it will be. And isn't that a bigger challenge sometimes? How often do we focus on what might be more than what is? If you watch the uh, morning videos I do each day, this week that was the topic, to live in the now, to, to focus on just what is before me right now. Because there is not one thing I can change about yesterday. And there isn't one thing I can do in the moment right now that's going to change tomorrow. I can plan for tomorrow, prepare for tomorrow, but the only thing I have to decide is this minute what attitude I'm going to embrace, what I'm going to believe, what my, what my attitude toward the people that I am around is, all of that is always a moment-to-moment -moment now decision. And trouble tells us that you know, all these decisions are, are bad. Like no matter which, which you choose, it's going to go bad. And God in Christ says, no, love is bigger than the trouble. Love is also bigger than the hardship. Is the love of God larger than my fear of hardship? This is a little bit more specific. Fear of suffering or death, or either of myself or those we care about. A fear of loss. Maybe that's the best word to talk about hardship. A fear of loss. Loss is a, a big a, a very large part of our lives that sometimes we don't identify. We, we think first and foremost, and appropriately so, about loss in terms of death. 
I have lost my family member, my friend, and I, and I feel very sad. I feel devastated. You feel what you feel because of death, and that's, that's the deepest level of loss we feel. And yet there are other experiences in our lives of, of loss, not just death. Do you remember, maybe you had this experience, I think we can all relate to it, whether it happened to you or one of your kids. You're at a summer festival somewhere, maybe a parade, uh, community event outside, it's a nice day, and there's someone that has balloons, helium balloons, and you know maybe they're the really big shaped ones with all kinds of cool things on, or maybe there's a, a basic colorful red balloon, a blue balloon, and as a child, you're... Your mom and your dad, they get you that balloon and they hand it to you and they say, now be careful, don't let it go. And you're all excited. Isn't it, do you remember that first time you held a balloon when you were little? And you kind of, wow, this is like magic. Look at that. It just kind of hangs up in the air. How's that going on? And you, and you tug at it and it moves a little bit, but it keeps wanting to go up. And you're walking around and it stays with you. And a little breeze comes and it pushes it that way or that way. And you love this balloon. And you're so excited about it. And you tell your brother or sister, look at this. And you let go. And it goes up. And you're sad. You're afraid. This, the joy of that balloon is now moving up. And it's kind of neat to watch it. But at some point as it rises up, you know that you know, even your dad can't jump that high to get it. And I don't have a stick that long. And it gets smaller and smaller until it's gone. And in your young heart and mind, you have experienced loss. The, you had the joy of that balloon, and now that is gone. Um, it's okay if you reacted a different way. I get this, but here's, here's a, a parenting tip. Don't replace it. And maybe it's not that situation. But too often, we want to... Protect our children from pain. And yet they need those simple lessons of pain about the loss of a balloon or other things to prepare them for the deeper and bigger levels of pain when nobody can go back to the vendor and get another one in, you know, a minute later. The things that you literally cannot replace, those experiences are going to happen in life. And that helps us prepare for that. So hardship, we, we, we fear hardship. We fear loss. We fear grieving. And yet, the promise here from the word of God is that that cannot separate us from his love. It still hurts. We still feel it. But you know what? God is there. God the Father looked down from heaven and watched his son die on the cross. And the pain that, that, that he experienced on that cross, that was great loss. Sure, God in his ultimate understanding and, and plan and provision knew that he was going to rise again. But still, there was those three days. There was that emptiness. There was that grave that his son was there. He knew loss. So when we pray to God about loss, when we are crying out from our hearts because of loss, you're not praying to a God who doesn't get it. He understands so his love overcomes even our hardships. His love also is stronger than. And we cannot be separated by his love because of persecution. 
Persecution is the fear of suffering that is imposed upon me by the will of another person or persons. And again, we can think of an example, examples in childhood, and uh, I know we have teachers among us, and you see this all too much today, especially bullying. Bullying is, is likely the first form of persecution a child experiences in this world. And, and it shouldn't happen, but it, it, it does. Um, and we need to keep that under control as best as we possibly can. But we also know that because this world is filled with trouble, filled with hardship, filled with evil, some people don't embrace love. They stay in the place of fear. And the impact when we live in fear, we are now just one step away from hate. I don't like the situation that I'm in, the fearful place that I'm in, and I need someone to blame for this. And if, if he or she or they or them are the cause of my fear, well, I'm going to hate them. And maybe you won't say it in so many words or have that thought consciously, but that's where fear leads us when, when it is not impacted by love when we don't allow love. And, and, and again, this isn't an easy process to go through. The, the, the deepest fears that grip us don't let go easily. And yet the first step is always to believe that God in Christ is with us in the fear and will help us overcome the fear so we don't end up angry and bitter and hateful and just, just acting like so much of the rest of the world that we see around us every day. That's what persecution can do to us. But God is bigger than the persecution. His love is famine, and it's more than famine. I'm going to say, obviously, famine is a lack of food. Um, and, and the fear embedded in famine is the fear that I won't have enough, or I don't have enough right now. Uh, I, I shared a couple of weeks back with, with hunger and famine. There's very few of us in this room or watching today or even among our family and friends, I'm sure, that have experienced famine in their life. I mean, devastating famine. Maybe there's people that didn't know where the next meal was going to come from and maybe went hungry for a day or two or something like that. But the, the devastation of famine to an entire, you know, country sometimes where, you know, tens of thousands of people or more cannot get food. We haven't experienced that. And yet, I believe, I'm, I, without having done any research on this, I, I, I'm fairly sure this is true. From, from the time God made our world, and even with 10 billion people on this planet right now, the provisions that God put in place on this planet are enough to feed everybody. They always have been, they always will be. Do you believe that? There is enough food on the planet that nobody should have to starve. The question is distribution. How do we get the food to the people that need it? Yes, there are famines that affect nations in very large areas, and, and so they can't grow their own food. So what does that mean? The neighboring nations, the world community needs to come to them. And, and, and many do, and many of you are very active in supporting the organizations, organizations that help make that happen. But if I were ever living in that circumstance... 
And, and, and I, I see my children crying and weak because they haven't had a, a decent meal, if anything, in a week. How would I feel? I would fear famine deeply the rest of my life. But famine is more than just the food. Famine is, I'm not going to have enough. And I've got to get more. What happens at the stores when we think something is running out? What happened with toilet paper and paper towels two years ago? Because there was this sense that we're not going to have enough of that, so get all you can while it's there. Hoarding. That's, what, that's where fear drives us. Fear drives us to selfishness instead of sharing. And so the fear of famine, again, is more than, than just the food. And, and God is, his love is stronger than famine, stronger than hunger. And, and this one, nakedness, the last one was fear of not having enough. This one is fear that I'm not enough. Nakedness is more than a lack of clothing. And in fact, when you think about it, what is the fear about that? Beyond the obvious social implications of not having any clothing on, but it is a fear of exposure, a fear of being judged, a fear of not looking good enough, a fear of not being as as physically attractive as someone else, the fear that, that my... That, that me, as I am, can't possibly be loved by anybody. And there comes back, which, which comes back to that, the, the first passage from Jesus about loving God, others, and self. So this, this fear, this, this nakedness, this cannot separate us from the love of God. So, so here the challenge is to believe that, that you are loved exactly as you are. And not just your physical attributes. um, The world finds ways to tear us down and tell us not only that you're not good looking enough, the world is going to tell you that you're not smart enough. The world is going to tell you that you're not articulate enough. One of the greatest fears that people have, if you ever look at like a top five, top ten list of phobias, one of them is public speaking. I don't understand that one. But... I'll bet you I got fears that you look at me and say, Pastor Paul, you're afraid of that? (laughs) So we all have just our our different makeup experiences, our DNA, whatever it is that that brings these fears to us. We all have them in some form or another. But one of the common traits is there are ways that, that, that the world sends us this message that I am not enough. And especially if you've been hurt and rejected so many by people, maybe even family members and, and good friends that were your friends. And, and, and when, you, when you've been beaten down enough then, and the world's telling you you're no good, you start to believe it in here and you start to believe it right here. And God in Christ tells you that that's a lie. That's a lie. Because in you is the image of God. The, the, the you that you doubt, the you that, that you're not sure about, the you that you have no confidence about is the you that Christ went to the cross for because he loves you. And he didn't love you when you got better. He didn't love you when you got more talented. He didn't love you because you got good looking. He didn't love you because he got rich. He loves you 
right now the way you are, with all the warts, with all the overweight, with all the fears, with all the doubts, with all the anxiety, he loves you right there with all the stuff. As Paul says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ loved us. So what's in the way of you believing that? You. Nothing else. Not someone else's words. The voice of condemnation. The voice of shame. Which is a huge one. I got a sermon series down the road about shame coming. I'm reading a book about shame. It's it's very powerful. And what it does to us. And so this is what nakedness can do is, is to make us doubt ourselves and feel like we're not enough. And then there's danger, fear of what we cannot control, especially evil. I can't stop that war on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. I can't stop it by my will. I pray that it stops. We're all praying that it stops. But when, when we get these big global events... If, if, if any one of us could somehow say the right words in a prayer or do something that would stop it, certainly we would, and, but it hasn't happened that way. And when, it, when that happens, it makes us feel so out of control. It makes us feel so small. It makes us feel alone. It drives us away from truth. That's what fear does. Fear wants to isolate. When, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, the first thing they did was hide. The first thing they did was get alone. Even though before God created Eve, excuse me, before God created Eve, he said this, this, this phrase, it is not good for man to be alone. That wasn't just, um, you know, a, uh, a man thing, okay? That's people thing. It's not good for people to be alone. So what the enemy has tried to do ever since is to isolate people, to isolate us, to make us feel like we are all alone in our experiences, all alone in our sin, all alone in our suffering, that no one else cares. And all of that is a lie that we can believe, that we can embrace, but we need to let go of that and destroy it. How? By believing in the love of God at the level that Paul writes about, that the level that Paul believed in, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Even your doubts can't separate you from the love of God. You're busy doubting God, and he's still loving you. You doubt God some more, and he's still loving you. You doubt God tomorrow, and guess what? He's still loving you. Next year, next month, we can't stop him from loving us even if we wanted to. That's the power of the love of God, when nothing can separate. So it's whether it's, it's danger or famine or nakedness or the sword. This will be the last one we'll cover today and we'll finish up next week. The sword, the symbol of, of war and violence in the day of Jesus in the ancient world, the sword. Today it will be the gun, okay? Now both the sword and the gun are not in and of themselves evil instruments. It's what can be done with them. Jesus said, if you... Live by the sword, you will die by the sword. He isn't condemning the sword. He's just saying, don't put your life, your faith, your trust, your hope in a sword or in a gun or in a weapon or in a soldier or in an army or in a tank or in a nuclear weapon. See, that's where it goes. When we trust in violence, when, with instruments of violence to, to protect us, now at a certain level, they are necessary in an evil world. So I'm not anti-gun. What I am is anti-worship of gun. 
Replacing God with a gun. Replacing God with a sword. Replacing God with a tank. Because no matter how big your gun is, somebody's got a bigger one. No matter how strong your bomb is, somebody's got a bigger one. And we live in a world where we could destroy ourselves globally in a matter of minutes if the right codes were plugged in and the buttons were pressed. And we've lived under that reality for pretty much most of my lifetime. And here we are again with that threat being put out there to the world. And that's so much bigger than us. And I will not be afraid of that. I will not live in fear of that. I don't want that to happen. Of course I don't. But I'm not going to be petrified and, and become numb because of what Putin says in Russia or the President of the United States says or, does, or doesn't do or any of the other leaders. It's not what they say. It's not how you know, they use the weapons. Yes, I want peace. Yes, I pray for peace. But our dependence needs to be first and foremost on God, and love is not absent there. The way of love is never absent. And this is the challenge of this. So today, in this passage in Romans, and again, we're going we're gonna to pick it up here next week and look at the 37th down to the 39th verses of the things, these are the things that people do to people that we're afraid of. We're going to look even bigger next time at other things that we're afraid of that are out of the hands of people, and you know what? But not beyond the love of God. Let's pray. Lord, may this word from your word go forth in our lives. May we trust you to, um, to help us to embrace love, even when fear has grabbed hold of us. Give us the faith, courage, and confidence to do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.